There's a place some of us go each fall. A place where the ring of a bell filters through the covers and hurried shouts of bird up bring everybody to attention. A place where the playful puppies around our house are transformed here to driven bird finders. And where there is confidence in the slow pace of the silver-muzzled old veterans. Where our friends tell the same old stories each year, and none of us seem to mind. Where great shots are forgotten, and epic misses never fade. Where an old gun will have a story to tell, if only it could speak to us. Where all the good seats are claimed by the dogs. If you have a camp, you know these things all too well. If you don't, well, you're always welcome here. So pull up a chair, tell us about your favorite gunner dog, and we'll admire the birds together and talk the night away by the fire. Welcome to Bird Camp. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bird Camp Podcast. I am your host, Joe Schwenke, and again, I'd like to thank all of you for listening and for some of the suggestions for topics. I'm working on one of those topics now. It'll come up mid-summer. I just recorded one um, this last week. That should be coming out soon. And that was on another uh, listener-suggested topic. Again, thank you for those that support on Patreon. And uh, with all the fun stuff out of the way, we'll get into that first sponsor break right after Bree decides to bark. And It's not Amazon. I think we're good. Anyway. Aspen Thicket Gun Dogs. No, Grouse Dogs. I'm sorry. Aspen Thicket Grouse Dogs, located in Central Upper Peninsula, offering grouse-centered dog training and home to Uncle Grouse. Aspen Thicket knows that the rough grouse is essential to developing the skills to effectively pursue the king. From puppy development through finished dog work, you can trust Uncle Grouse with your hunting camp companion. And if you are dissatisfied with your grouse hunting, try doing what your uncle told you to do. And by Field Armor, toughest dog vest on the market. Help protect your dog from cuts, scrapes, and impalement in the field. A dog vest is much less expensive than an emergency vet. Use the promo code BIRDCAMP, B-I-R-D-C-A-M-P, with no spaces for free shipping. Don't miss out on some of their other rugged upland products. Visit FieldArmorUSA.com today. My writing just... It's always been the same writing, it's the same sheet. And I just have trouble reading it tonight. Maybe it's this reloader still in my way. But uh, in full discretion, tonight's not discretion, disclosure. Hold on. I need a drink here. This this is not happening. Hmm. Maybe that'll loosen the old tongue up a little more. In disclosure, we have one of our sponsors on tonight. Dennis Stakowitz, also known as Uncle Grouse, is coming on. And the first thing, welcome, Dennis. Thank you for having me. And uh, we kind of decided on a new little uh, icebreaker this time. Of course, the other sponsor on that first segment was Field Armor. And we had talked a little bit about that x-ray that I mentioned a few weeks ago. A lot of pellets, but nothing in that, that vital area on that x-ray. So again, thank, thankful for the, the handler and the dog being now okay. But uh, wow, it's kind of scary. You know, like we were talking about early on, that's a situation where that guy is probably happier to be mad than sad. Mm -hmm. And what a great 
product. I mean, you, you know, you can talk about these products all you want, and that is probably one of the things that we fear most when, like, preserve hunting or whatever. I mean, that's commonly where that type of thing happens. But, mm-hmm. you know, you don't ever want it to happen. Here's a case where it did, and it's the old saying, the proof is in the pudding, right? Like, that dog's still alive yeah. today because of that vest. Yep. Yeah, and uh, there's probably some training issues to maybe start to work on again there with now that the thing might be a little gun-shy. But um, there's got to be a little trauma to the dog, but who knows, with enough drive that maybe isn't even going to be an issue. Well, birds can fix a lot of things, and if that dog's driven on birds, it's probably mm-hmm. forgot it happened already. Mm-hmm. Yep, but, yeah, there's... Yeah, you hate to see those things, but, you know, in this case, again, that that x-ray was, was pretty much proof that, hey, it didn't make it through that vest. Um, not that they're pellet-proof at close range, but at the range he was at, that worked perfect. Sure did. Yeah. And, you know, like, it's, you don't ever want it to happen, but in this case, the dog survived, and <clears throat> I sure hope that picture circulates worldwide as a reminder mm-hmm. yeah. not not just to buy jeff's best because it's a good product <laughs> i mean a, a reminder to everybody to pay attention to what the hell you're doing yeah yep and we we had a, a situation and and we do a lot of youth hunts i volunteer and i like getting my dogs out and uh and being personable with the new kids and we had a couple of very young men this last i think it's not two weekends ago and we said, okay, when the birds are low, that's no. Okay, yeah. Right. And you understand? Yeah, we were practicing yesterday. Okay. Sure enough, about five birds in, one gets up real low, and Scout's not real stable anymore on, on well, he's great on point, but mm-hmm. produ- produce a bird, and he runs. And and I've accepted that, and I haven't put a lot of time into him beyond that. And that boy what? saw that bird go low and just put his gun up. Nope, we're good. Watched it fly off. We watched where it went down again. Okay, we can, we'll can. we go that way. And uh, just made some really nice, mature calls. That's really good to see that. Yeah. I yeah. think the earlier you start with kids, they learn that stuff. And also teaching them, I don't know. I mean, everybody has their own feelings about why they do the sport. Mm-hmm. Right, and everybody's opinion on why to do it or what's the right thing to be thinking about when you're hunting is different. But if you're not a meat hog, a lot of that bad stuff doesn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It it helped. It was a good situation. You know, they had done their practice the day before. You know, they both were competent with their gun, little pump twenty gauges. They they knew their instructions. Their mom was out there with them. And so mm-hmm. the first bird up, one of them swings into it beautifully. Nice high bird, bang, down it comes. Next bird, same thing, gets up high enough. The other son shot it, down it came. It well, took see that it took the competition right out of them too. You and uh, you and mom gave them the start they needed, right? Oh well, those weren't my kids. My kids, that's a different story. But this was a a, a, um, a lady. No, her, I mean in that situation, yeah. you and that mom. Oh right? yeah, definitely. You yes. you are part of of their early development in hunting, and they're mm-hmm. going to remember that stuff for a long time. So good on you. Yeah, and it That's was awesome stuff. 
it was so nice to see that, especially in the youth. And then, too, right, they make that great no-call where they don't shoot. They pick their gun back up, and, and we were going with no shells. They only loaded once the dog was on point. So then, you know, okay, no bird, they instantly rack their gun back to empty. Okay, we're good. Safety on. Yep, okay. You know, looked over at mom a few different times. I'm like, these kids really are doing the right things, especially the tough ones, the the no shots and the, no, it was getting kind of close to where those people were. So I'm not shooting, you know, just the maturity level in there. I wanted, I made sure I praised them as much as I could in the field. Like you guys are awesome. I've got, you know, there were paying customers that weren't this good. Right. (laughs) Or, right. And, and there was, well, and two, they already had a bird in the bag. So there was no competitiveness to like, Oh, I haven't gotten mine yet. It it was gone. You know, it was, it was awesome. That's good. I mean, there's sometimes there's adults that don't have the best examples. I know mm-hmm. I, I've, as long as I've been a guide, I, I know there's been times where I caught people like walking through the woods with, with the safety off, like mm-hmm. trying to get the advantage on the bird and like, no, <laughs> fix it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, fix it. Yep. We are not hunting like that. And I've, I've caught myself a couple of times, made a, a few questionable shots, and I'm like, hold on, stop. You know, take a minute, you know, breathe. What did you do different here that was different than all the safe shots? Well, I, okay, don't do that again. You know, you got to learn. And if you can't make yourself learn, someone needs to yell at you. But, uh, yeah, those boys started out right, and uh, they had a great experience. They were talking about duck hunting, so they had a little bit of hunting experience already. But, uh you know, the maneuvers and everything else. Um, they had to have been well coached in some other portion portion of their life because they just followed instructions so well. Um, and that's something for anyone that's listening, that's taking a youth out, you know, that soccer coach being hard on the kid only makes the guide's job that much easier. Right. That's fact. Yeah. Yeah. You know, baseball coach doesn't going to let you get away with half Harding your your practice good now the now the guide tells you hey move up and the kid's moving you know good good yep. stuff but uh, well it's all about it's all about getting that good start right it is it is and you know that's a pretty nice transition now that we think about it I planned it somebody has to plan these shows right all right but the reason we're on today and that's that's puppy dogs and and young dog uh, development right. And yeah, we, I, yeah. that's that's kind of what we were going to talk about tonight is particularly leaning towards the the grouse. How do you start a pointing grouse dog, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and and I'm, I'll throw a little bit of stuff in here for flushers. It's drastically different for flushers, but, you know, a young pointing dog on, on grouse, I think there's a inherently... <clears throat> different way that you should approach things with a dog that is primarily going to hunt wild birds, particularly rough grouse, as opposed to a dog that's going to be a, an AKC test dog on quail and in short grass and things like that. And that's kind of what we were going to talk about tonight. Mm-hmm. So where do and you... And the timing no, is yeah. perfect, right? Because everybody got puppies for Christmas <laughs> or they're... Yes. Or they, you know, there's... I've seen... There, there were a lot of litters actually. There December, were. January this year, and you know, typically you got some coming where people will be picking one up. Come April, 
mm-hmm. sometime around there. So let's uh, yeah, let's try and help them out the best we can. Yeah, I have two dogs with birthdays in January. So I I've been in this boat a couple times now, but uh, so so what do you do first, right? I get my new puppy home in February, and what's my plan? I, well, actually, I need to I get birds, go, lots of birds, yeah, right? No, no. Well, I'm gonna even go back a little bit further, right? And, okay. You know, for the people that may be considering a puppy right now, is I, I honestly believe that everything starts with the breeder and I realize that the world's not perfect and people do things different ways, but I really think that doing your homework up front and seeking out that breeder that has a reputation of producing dogs that can hunt wild birds. That's, you know, somebody that can show that they've had a proven you know, proven track record, proven breeding stock for grouse hunting. I think that's really important. And typically those, they're going to focus on a couple of things that, you know, the great debate of what makes a grouse dog, right? But I can tell you what makes good breeding stock is, number one, they're sound genetically. Um, They have an outstanding nose. They have so much point that sometimes it becomes difficult to work through when you're introducing birds in gunfire. (laughs) They have intelligence. They have range and range is subjective for everyone. Mm -hmm. But when I speak to range, I like to see puppies that get out a little bit. I like to see adult, young adult dogs that like to get out a little bit. But to me, range is expressed as confidence. And that's what I look for when I'm looking at that range. It tells me that the dog is confident enough to leave my side and go out and go do its thing and do searches. It doesn't have anything to do with I like super big running dogs. I like dogs that have a bit of range to them at a young age because they're confident. And then I can dial it in to whatever uh suits my hunting needs Mm -hmm. and on top of that um i would also even say take a look at what the what the breeder is doing what what's he feeding his dogs nutrition is often overlooked in that right but are they all on good quality dog food are they getting exercise regularly do they do does he uh a lot of grouse dogs the guys in the setter world right and the pointer world they're probably going to look to guys that are out perhaps doing the Great Lake States uh, grouse trials, mm-hmm. right? That's a good, that's a good uh, measuring stick. And I, th- and I think you had Bruce on last week or week before, a couple times ago. And yeah, yeah, I did. You know, that's, that's his world there and he's producing great grouse dogs. And I, I think mm-hmm. that really is important to kind of set yourself up for success, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to go get a dog from, and I, I've, I've seen this happen before with people that are well-intentioned that they get a very well-bred dog, but the well-bred dog may come from Texas. I had one here that I worked about five years ago. It was a Vishla, and it came from Texas. 
And it was primarily like a 50-50 bench hunting, you know, AKC mm -hmm. hunt test thing. But if you think about that, I know that breeder doesn't come to Michigan to grouse hunt, so what do they hunt? Mm -hmm. And it was primarily an AKC hunt test dog. But it was well-bred. Like, I mean, they, they cost a lot of money. It had come a health guarantee. You know, it had tons of show titles and stuff and AKC stuff. But it, it really never made it as a grouse dog as what I would consider a great grouse dog or even a very good grouse dog. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the foundation there of where the dog came from and what it was intended to do within that sub sub line of that species of dog, it just wasn't there. Hmm. Yeah. If that makes sense. Right. Like, Right, you're asking. You know, you're asking you're somebody. You're gonna go buy a Volkswagen Bug to go four wheeling, yeah. right? Right. Or you're gonna buy a Toyota Tacoma or a Chevy Silverado or whatever four wheel drive. Right. You're you're asking a dog whose breeder is getting feedback from what they do, but the feedback that they're they're doing to to better their breeding program isn't what this owner is going to want the dog to do, right? I mean. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it well bred to do what they know, but not maybe what they don't know. And genetics are a powerful thing, but a lot of times people look at genetics as historical data on a dog, hmm. right? Because genetics is, genetics is the history of the dog. Those markers with inside that dog, they're for certain traits. Like we test for, I don't know, I think there's 274 different markers that I test for on my dogs, but people tend to look at genetics and past tense rather than the genetics of adaptation, right? If we've, if we've ever had a biology class, we've heard that term adaptation, that species adapt over time, right? Mm -hmm. Like we went from cavemen to walking upright and, you know, now we're developing AI that's probably going to take over us. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> right. <laughs> but we, you know, the same it's all based upon genetics, right? So over time, we adapted, and the genetics of adaptation come into play, particularly with these dogs that are the quote-unquote wild bird dogs or the, the grouse trial dogs or whatever it may be. They are a subset of the English setter, English pointer, uh, short hairs in my instance, uh, Vishla's and Pat Quigley's instance up here, whoever it may be, friends of mine, you know, Abraham Downer's breeding the setters, right? Those mm -hmm. are woodcock banding lines, but they're still, you know, they hunt grouse. Over the years of these well-established programs, when they're breeding dogs that are excelling in the game that they're playing, which we're talking about, particularly grouse hunting, you prove them with trials, but that adaptation is going to kick in and those sub traits that we typically look at historically they're changing within there and they're changing for the better hmm. i could probably talk for six hours on genetics one time but <laughs> I, I don't think we want to do we're going to save that for grouse camp okay right we d we don't talk about genetics even in grouse camp we'll have to make a seminar or something for that one you no, know, because I we start having a couple beers and I start talking about genetics and they're like, you guys are like, Jesus Christ, here he goes. 
Yeah, that's about exactly what we say. Can't we just talk about, you know, uh, the Roman Empire or something else? Right, right. <laughs> Don't let this guy get on a roll with you next. We're going to be here till four in the morning. We we are anyway. <laughs> yeah. But, but, I mean, yeah. we're setting, we're trying to set the baseline for that. And also, there are a good number of breeders out there that are doing the, the genetic testing. Kyle Warren, right, with his setters, he's mm-hmm. known for the very distinct subset of the, I think he just calls them Paint River setters now, but they were originally Llewellyn's, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that another one that's genetics of adapt, adaptation over time. But a lot of these breeders, also good ones, they, you know, when they have a litter of puppies, there's things that the breeder's doing that will make a difference as well. And I mean, the different kind of exposure they're getting those puppies. Um, are they, you know, are they introducing them to woods, birds, water? Mm-hmm. Um, are they socializing them? Are they, and, and socializing doesn't mean with other dogs, right? But, right. you know, are they, are they taking those puppies out and tons of people are coming to the kennel and, tall people, short people, skinny people, white people, black people, all that stuff, you know, people with glasses, all, all those things. Are are you getting them out of their comfort zone with a little bit of noises? You know, you got the swimming pool full of empty water bottles in it that makes all kinds of weird noise when they hop in it. And a yeah. lot of those things. And it you can accomplish so much as a breeder doing that because – it's all done with what we call the strength of the pack, right? Mm-hmm. When those puppies are in a gang of five, they ain't afraid of nothing. <laughs> like, you can get so much accomplished. And we started doing that over time at our kennel. You know, when, when those pups are five to six weeks old, there's flapping pigeons flying away, and that entire pack is running after it like madmen, chasing and watching it fly away because they're all, they ain't afraid of nothing. Yep. You know, you take one individual puppy out of that and tried something like that, though, you'd have you'd have a nightmare on your hands. And but again, it's this is baseline stuff that when people are seeking out breeders, you know, look to see that they're kind of dabbling in the game that of the dog that you intend to hunt with. Mm hmm. Are they doing the genetics testing? And if they are and the genetics are clear and then the dogs are playing the game that intends for your hunting, they are going to adapt over time. Um, and those those breeders that are doing that are the same ones that are doing all the socialization and the exposure stuff for you a little bit ahead of time. You're going to set yourself up for a positive experience. Mm-hmm. And not only is it going to be a positive experience, when you get an eight-week, eight to ten-week-old pup, that comes from something like that, they're going to have a bunch of confidence and they're going to be a more, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like sound, sound in like temperament and character and stuff that yeah, you're going to have a lot of flexibility when you're training and there's going to be a lot of room for mistakes and we all make them. I've been doing mm-hmm. this for a long time. I can tell you right now, the drummer dog that I have that's really nice at six months old now, 
I've already made one mistake with them. I can't figure out what it is yet, but it'll show up. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it goes with every dog. But when they're when they're very sound temperament, you have a lot of latitude to make mistakes, and we're all going to make mistakes. But this all all this stuff we're talking about now happens before you come home. Right. Um, so, so I bring that puppy home, and the first thing I do. Oh, aren't you supposed to um, take a bunch of photos and put it on the gram? That's what I do. Oh, after you do that. Yeah, okay. yeah. After so, after you social media the, the, the dog to death and they're yeah. tired of your camera so then, for the rest of its life. Yeah, then you're going to bring it up on the bed with you and it's going to sleep under the covers. No, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> never, one of the... Never, ever spoil your bird dog. Right. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that always needs to continue through the life of the dog like the entire ride home and when you get home it is a huge socialization event for that dog right mm, yes it is all kinds of new stuff all mm-hmm. kinds of really new stuff a lot of what you're gonna do the first 48 hours with that puppy is ignore it when it when you ride home and it gets scared in the ride home you're going to ignore it. When you get home and it comes into the house and it walks around with its tail tucked and stuff, you're going to ignore it. You're going to let it be a dog. You're not going to pick it up and tell you how much you love it. And and I know this sounds kind of mean, right? But whenever it shows fear of something during those first 48 hours, the most critical thing you can do is ignore it because it's just like, you reinforce their fear if you acknowledge it, right? Mm-hmm. If you come home and the first thing the dog sees is like, like in my living room, right? I got the guitar on the stand there, right? It sees that guitar and the guitar scares the shit out of it. And you pick the puppy up and cuddle it because it's afraid of the guitar. It's going to be afraid of the guitar for the rest of its life because you just acknowledged it. So like <laughs> anything like that, you're going to ignore I've had total weird stuff happen, right? Like when my boys were really little, I kept a puppy from a litter and he's in the house and the boys being boys decided that they're going to start popping balloons. Well, yeah, (laughs) right? So, so here's this middle-aged, middle-aged Polish guy, right? Got the temper, this fuse is about as short as, you know, I don't know, mowed, mowed grass. Oh. And the boys are walking around popping these big balloons with a brand new puppy in here that's starting to freak out. And he never was gun shy. He never was afraid of noises because I ignored it. But that's the first and foremost thing you're going to do is ingrain into your head that if anything bad happens that's not life-threatening, you're not going to acknowledge it. You're going to continue to socialize them. You should take that puppy everywhere you go, man. You go to the gas station to get gas, take the puppy with you. Because people will come up to your car and be like, can I pet the puppy? Whatever. They'll see stuff. That's, that, I think that's a given, mm-hmm. right? Yep. House obedience is another given, right? Mm-hmm. I, I firmly believe it's okay to teach dogs to sit. Um, it's good to teach dogs to come. It's good to teach dogs no. 
it's good to teach them to lay down whatever you want to do in the house. The only thing that I would say about that, and I had, I had made a Facebook post about this and, and a good friend of ours, Tom, um, he made a very good point about that is it's okay to do obedience, but you, you have to be careful that 16 different people are giving it treats, making it do Harlow tricks or sitting or something like that, because it could be harder to get that dog to break out later, later on. And I think I, that is very important. Hmm. Now, typically what we do with my house obedience, if I keep a puppy here, it'll stay in the house as long as my wife tolerates it, which is usually, I don't know, a month. I'm the one that does the training with the dog. We designate like one person. Mm -hmm. And that one person does kind of like the structured stuff with the dog. And then every now and then somebody else might reinforce it. So we don't have, what do we have? One, two, three, four, five, six people in the house here. We don't have six different people taking turns when nobody else knows what's going on trying to train the dog over and over and over again, right? Because then that will, that's not teaching the dog to train. That's teaching, teaching the dog habits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it is, so having one person do it, you're generally teaching a dog how to learn rather mm -hmm. than teaching habits. And it's really different than field obedience, right? When you get, when the dog goes outside or whatever, all that stuff stops. Like whatever the dog is outside of the house, all it needs to know is its name and to come when it's called. It's all I do with it. But in the house, it's a different subset of rules, right? They have to learn how to be potty trained. You got to learn where their yeah. food's at. You know, you don't want them jumping on people. You don't want them counter surfing and so on. Mm-hmm. Another thing you should do, now I mentioned outside, right? We've covered the inside stuff. You should be exposing that puppy to the woods. And and I've sold dogs to people that live in Detroit or wherever it may be. There's always a park somewhere in, in neighborhoods, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't have to be the grouse woods, but I firmly believe that you need to get the dog into some type of woods. Even with all the resources I have up here, I still start with those park-like woods, right? They're wider open. Mm -hmm. um, puppies don't have to go over and under stuff. They're not going to get stuck by stuff that might make them feel uncomfortable. Um, mm -hmm. It's less intimidating, right? Yep. Or maybe you want to even start out in a field of some, some sort, you know? Maybe work them from the field a little bit, let them run. But you want to get them into the woods because that's where they're going to be operating. Yep. And we all have that. We just have to make a little bit of effort, right? That's what it really comes down to with a lot of well, with a puppy over time is how much effort you're willing to put into it. And this is not asking for a lot. Yeah. Grab your car keys, you know, <laughs> go for a ride, buy your $14 salty frappuccino whatever the hell it is yep go, go to a park take the dog for a walk and it's you'll notice something too when you do it that way the first couple times the dog goes out 
you know, the, especially a big woods where they can still kind of see the first couple of times they get on the wrong side of a tree and they lose you a second. Yeah. They're going to panic a little. Okay. The third or fourth time it happens, that panic is going to be kind of gone by, by walk number four, we've built confidence into being in the trees and that it's okay if you don't see me for 30 seconds. That's right. You know where I'm at. And if you also notice what happens on that, they learn to start looking for you, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But they don't come all the way back to you. They learn that they have to to keep track of you because they can't see you like they can in a field. But it also Mm -hmm. forces them to kind of turn around look to see where you're at and then keep going or checking in, right? One of the things that a lot of people worry about. And I think a a lot of times what happens is we, we were trained years ago that you get a pup out in the field and you put birds in the field and the birds were super, super important and it had to know how to point. And we spent all this time in these bird fields or preserves. And then we take the dog to the grouse woods for the first time and it doesn't get 20 feet away from us. Because yep. it's just uncomfortable. And so, like, what we're starting to do nowadays is realize that the environmental factors are much more important than the actual birds. The bird stuff is there, right? If you're buying a well-bred dog, you're going to point. He's going <laughs> to like birds. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's the least thing you need to worry about are the birds. Yeah. You need to expose it to the environment it's going to be in. And you start out big. Mm-hmm. And then you then you work your way to to t- tighter stuff as the dog gets older. Um, In the, and also another big thing. Yeah. Go ahead. Is this the same sort of theory that um, we call it Montessori down here, um, at least in the Grand Rapids educational system, where you start a little younger and you do more exposure, right? And you yeah. allow experience to do some teaching. Kind of like they do a lot of this with with second language as well as yeah. some other things. And it's it's really starting almost at the pre-K type level. But, yeah, you've gotten very young, exposed early, and in a way I think it primes the pump with, with the kids is, is what the theory is. And It's the same thing with these puppies, right? Mm-hmm. So you know my three words saying, genetics, exposure, patience. Mm-hmm. I, I've been saying that for many, many years. That's the that's saying. That's the saying I've heard you say that we can use on the on the microphones. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean that that yeah. is essentially what it is, right? You're you're mm-hmm. exposing them to things that they are genetically adapted to perform successfully in. It just needs to be woken up. Yep, and that ten year that ten week old puppy. The first couple times it loses your sight, you know, and gets where it can't find you or can't see you, and then it starts to acclimate to that. Those are all maybe more important training than people want to realize. It's the most important time period of the dog. That's an imprinting phase. Right, and what you're developing is that partnership of, hey, you know how to find me. I'm going to keep walking. Hey, yep. you, yeah, you, yeah, you're 80 yards this time instead of 18. I'm keeping walking. You know what your job is. And that exposure yeah. never really, I don't think the dog ever realizes it's training. You know, you're just giving it that opportunity to learn without yes. ever knowing it's learning. And, you know, for the most part, you're just walking anyway. It's not really training. That's exactly it. That is exactly what's happened. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then, you know, another thing, again, I'm going to kind of harp on the nutrition, right, for a young puppy. You know, hmm. I don't care if you're going to feed the puppy, like, you're going to feed the adult dog old Roy or something. But when you have a growing puppy, you need to really focus on the nutrition of that puppy. You need to be feeding some high-quality stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I highly recommend keeping up that regimen of feeding that puppy three times a day. Feed it for three times a day till it gets to be a couple months old, right? Till it's been with you a month or so. And then maybe go to two times a day and yeah. and stay with that until they're a year old. Mm-hmm. That's extremely important. We see I mean, that. even I yeah. complain about it, right? Drummers out in that kennel, <laughs> you know, I only feed my adult dogs once a day because we run them. Mm-hmm. They get fed in the evening, you know? Right. And you're you're essentially asking people then at this point, genetically it's all there as as you the breeder or or anyone else the breeder. If you don't have that proper nutrition, um, that's that's the difference between great neurological development and good neurological development is when the body says it's time to grow, we're all the calories in place already. And, exactly. And there's no warnings with that. It's it's like watching your kids grow and go. Man, they seem to be eating a lot and sleeping a lot, and hey, they're right. they're two inches taller again. Oh, okay, that's why they're eating like two grown men. That's, but the same thing with your puppy, right? That's not only do you need the energy for just plain growing, but especially if you're doing the exposure and the exercise and things like that. I'm telling you, the best example that I could correlate to a human being is. You know I coach wrestling. I've been involved with it for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. You look at my boys, where they walking around 125, 130 pounds now. There are kids that three years ago they wrestled at like 80 pounds. Those kids are still at 80 pounds. And those kids have been cutting weight since they were seven years old. That's a nutritional deficit. Mm-hmm. Those kids are never going to properly grow. They're going to be small their entire life. But the ones that are that you feed them, you let them grow, you don't make them cut the weight, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to naturally mature, yep. and that's that's the human analogy of it. And all my coworkers will agree that I function better with a snack. Oh yeah. Like if there isn't food available, you know, if there isn't calories in my bloodstream. And we all do it at work. We all make a mistake somewhere in there. Okay, was this an eleven fifteen right before lunch mistake? Yeah, probably. Right. It, right. It wasn't right after break when you when you have what you need. That's not when the bad things happen. Yeah, it's always the it's always the nutrition, and that's a big thing. Like nutrition deficit is probably the best way to explain it. You don't mm-hmm. ever want to get to that point. Yep. So. And I'm speaking to also all this beginning stuff we're talking about is up to about age six months old, right? Okay. So we've got the pup home. We're doing all kinds of socialization. It's not peeing in the house. Um, We're exposing uh, walks to the woods. It's starting to get out on us a little bit. It's starting to operate a little bit independently. You're feeding it well. It's growing. I think it's time to start thinking about two of the most important introductions you can ever do with the dog, right? The birds and the gunfire. Mm -hmm. And there are so many ways to skin this cat that 
I don't want to get in long-winded and talk about it many ways. I, I, you know, generally the way that I approach the bird introduction is if you've never done it before, go find yourself a pro that knows what they're doing. Most of them won't charge you a lot of money just to take the dog through introduction to birds and gunfire. Mm-hmm. If you want to do it on your own, call me. I'll tell you for free how to do it on your own. I mean, I do, basically, it's a dead live trap wing, a flyaway, and a catch method, right? Hmm. And it's a little different than most. Not a lot of people do the catch method. But introduce a young pup, take a dead bird, right? Fred, I like freshly killed. Throw it out there. Let it play with it. Let it do whatever it's going to do. You know, if it runs away with it, all the better, you know. Mm-hmm. Then you move on to a live one where you got the locked wings on a pigeon, right? That's a little bit more live for it. Throw it out there, let it pick it up, run around with it, whatever you're going to do. One of the things I do like to do, though, when it comes time to flap the wings, and people may have seen my videos where I do this before, I will leave the dog in the kennel. And I will flap those wings outside the kennel. Hmm. Now, the dog's already fired up, right? It likes birds. It's ran around with dead birds. It's ran around with the tethered wings ones. And now those wings flap and got it really excited, right? Yep. But I'm using that kennel fence as a safety measure so it doesn't get popped in the face at the wrong moment, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And then I will throw a bird while it's standing there watching. And then it'll be fired up. And then I will take another bird. I'll get the wings flapping. I'll open the door on that kennel and I'll throw it so they, and I'll see how far they chase it, right? If they're chasing it, then I'm going to move to the catch method. And the catch method is where I use garden hose tether. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I take about a three foot section of, I don't know, five eighths diameter garden hose. I don't even know what the damn sizes are anymore. (laughs) The thin one. Um, Right. His garden hose, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You tie it to the pigeon's feet. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll hold that tether in my hand while that pups out. No check cords here, no nothing. You don't want it getting caught up. You don't want anything bad to happen. And I'll flap those wings, and it's like playing the wing on a string game with a puppy, right? Yep. Like you don't want them to catch it. Mm-hmm. So they get all fired up. You don't want them to catch it. Those wings are flapping. And then if he's really, really fired up, you're going to let it go. The bird's going to fly very, very low. The dog's going to chase it, and he's eventually going to catch it. If he catches it, no problem. Mm-hmm. You go take it back from him. Then the next phase that you move on to, you're going to do that again. But next time he's chasing it, right before he catches it, you're going to shoot the 22 pistol, right? Yep. And, you know, start out with a guy helping you 40 yards away, whatever. I mean, there's so much stuff on this, the internet people can look up. <laughs> yep. But I firmly believe in that catch method. I think it just really, really fires those birds up. Yep. And it has not done anything to diminish their pointing because let's remember that pointing is genetically adapted over time. Yep. And I'll, I'll shamelessly plug NAVDA, which is where, where I started out with, with my dog and where I found a lot of my hunting friends. And they mm-hmm. used the 20-ounce the bottle with a little water on a string, similar to the, the garden hose. And sure, yeah, the, yeah, and, you know, they're, you'd show up and you're like, yeah, I want my dog to point. 
and they smile at you and they say, well, the first one he's going to do is he's going to maul it to death. Right. What, why? He's going to catch it and try to eat it and run around with it and crunch it. And that's going to be spectacular. And sure yeah. enough. And yep. And then next thing you know, yeah, you're onto the little 22, the 209 or the 22 gun. And yep. yep and, and what a great resource too. If, if you have a trainer, that's great. If you don't, if you have one of those three or four NAVDA clubs that are in Michigan or somewhere else near you, uh, what a great resource too. birds, an extra set of hands, and usually somebody on their fourth or fifth dog, um, who's made some mistakes yep. already and, and it'll yep. keep you clear of them. And, yep. the, and the thing is like, just don't, don't freak out. Right. And I, I see yes. this a lot. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. Cause there's so much, there's so much information available, right? Mm-hmm. There's all. And, and unfortunately the worst information are like the forums, the message boards if, and, and if, social yeah. media. If you can right? find a trusted source that seems wise and that's going to be the hard part, right? Find the yes. one person you can trust. And then all of your questions, you can ask all the Facebook forums and Instagram you want. Then you go and you call that person up and you say, okay, here's what I heard. And they'll laugh a little bit. And then they'll say, well, this is what always worked for me. Right. And that's what you go with. <laughs> Just but that, you know, that, and that's speaks highly to that catch method that NAVS mm-hmm. is doing it. I mean, that's, there's a lot of people that don't like that, but never had a problem with it, especially when we move on to bird manners, which is kind of where I'm going to go next. Yeah. Um, right as soon as you get past that intro to birds and gunfire, like a week later, you can you can start putting the birds out there for the dogs. But I, yep. me, being a grouse dog guy, like I like, the launchers i really like the launchers you can control the release of the bird mm-hmm. and believe it or not using a launcher you can actually set up a dog for success and th- the way i do it well first and foremost if you're going to use a launcher think about how we did the flapping wings with the pigeon ahead of you know the first introduction with the flapping wings mm-hmm I do the same thing with a launcher because that launcher makes a noise, right? Makes a strange noise. Oh, yeah. Usually what I'll do is I will go out to the kennel. I will set the launcher out from the dog's kennel about, I don't know, five feet or so. I will flap that bird around so he sees that bird, gets excited. I will let him watch me put that bird in the launcher. I will stand back, pop the launcher, and he'll watch that bird fly away. And he now has made the association of the bird, that noise, and the bird coming out again. Yep. Once you do that, I love to use what's called the check cord method, right? We're going to put a puppy on a check cord and let him do whatever he wants. I've got a launcher out there. I could have a launcher. I don't know. The way I do it is a little different than Mokes because I have multiple fields to work with here, but... Say you put a launcher out in the field, right? You're going to let the puppy go. He's going to be on a check cord. You're going to lead him, but you're going to allow for some independence, right? Yeah, you hope so. Typically what I do is the first acknowledgement of something weird, whatever, bird scent, doesn't have to point, whatever it is, you'll be able to read a dog, you'll see it. I launch that bird. And, And I'll make that pup stand there. 
a little bit while he's while he's restrain him a little bit and then I'm run after that bird, right? I will take that dog back to the kennel. I will put another bird in that launcher in the same spot. I want him to actively go straight line look for that launcher, right? Hmm. When I get him into that field and he actively starts straight line and looking for that launcher, I'm going to launch that bird again. And it's going to fly off. I will tell you that about the third time I do that with that dog. Now he's getting sent because he's turning into the bird, right? Yep. The third time I do that with it in the same location, I guarantee you that dog will point. <laughs> it's natural. It's what they want to do. They want yeah. They want a point. They want to. I, I, I could take hours explaining it, right? Right. But You've... if I wasn't using a launcher, I wouldn't be able to do that method. Yep. I'd have to have a, a, a bird put to sleep, right? I might have to have a helper. And when I have a helper out in front of me, the dog's going to learn how to point people, right? Because the helper's he's, where the bird's at. <laughs> he's going to follow follow people and four-wheelers. Or yeah, or yeah. you have to, or you have to go up and try and hold the dog and flush the bird yourself, and all kinds of bad things can happen. So oh, invest in a launcher. Yeah, yeah. But back I, to back to bad memories of kick traps. Yes, same way, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if you condition the dog to the launcher through the kennel, or you can do it in your yard. Just have somebody hold the dog and do the thing from twenty feet away or whatever. Show them the launcher and a bird coming out. Yep. Mm-hmm. That that's the thing you do. But the thing is to remember about all of this little launcher scenario that I just explained. We're not working on bird search, right? We're conditioning bird manners. And the bird manners here are when you smell a bird, we want you to point. I don't want you to actively go out and search for birds here. That's not the purpose of this drill. Mm-hmm. We We want you to understand that when you smell a bird, if you get too close, it's going to fly away. Right. And that's really good. And now, all the time we've been doing this kind of stuff here, right, these first six months, mm-hmm. we're still running the pup in the woods. We're not putting control over that puppy. I personally teach them their, their name and let them go. That, that if we can afford it, and I get not everybody can afford it sometimes, but if you... Go to our friends at Collar Clinic. Maybe you can buy a refurbished one. But the GPS capabilities with dogs nowadays is is endless. You know, the only the one yeah. we have on the house dog here, Panzer, right? I live in the middle mm-hmm. of the woods in the UP. Yeah. I can still track him on my phone with a little $100 Amazon GPS collar. Well, and since you've which mentioned... Is generally good enough for puppies. Right, and since you've mentioned one of the sponsors, I'm overdue for a sponsor break. How about okay. Pine Hill Gun Dogs? Located in Rockford, Michigan, Pine Hill offers boarding and training for your gun dog, whether it's the uplands or wetlands you enjoy with your dog. Pine Hill Gun Dogs wants to be a part of your success this season and wishes to remind you that the greatest conservation tool is a well-trained dog. And that other one, Collar Clinic, located in northern Michigan and providing e-collar, and GPS, and other dog-related electronics since 1988. Collar Clinic can provide new and reconditioned systems and accessories of many major brands. They also repair current and older systems, and when you're ready to upgrade, also have a trade-in program for working and non-working systems. 
Get the tools you need to make your dog exceptional at Collar Clinic. And be sure to use the discount code BIRDCAMP on your next purchase. All right, and back to what we were talking about. Well, first and foremost for that sponsor, I hope people appreciate how long they've been around and what they've been doing. Yeah, since the 80s. 88. Wow. Right? <laughs> yeah, and it's... So, yeah. yeah, we were talking about like the first six months. All while this is going on, you're still running that pup in the woods when you can. If you can, man, if you can swing a weekend and go up to the middle of the state, wherever you grouse hunt or whatever, and, mm -hmm. you know, get it in. And, and actually, some of that cover downstate is a little bit different than up here. It's a little bit more open. Um, you have a little bit more opportunity to run the pup, but build it up to where it needs to go. And one of the things I didn't mention up to this point is the length of time you're running that puppy is very short, right? We're not going out there for an hour at a time with a puppy. You're no. going to pick a good spot. You're going to go out there with that pup. You're going to spend about 20 minutes. You're going to let it have fun. You're going to let it explore. Hopefully it's going to hit some birds, chipmunks, whatever it may be. And then you're going to be done. Because they, they operate in short spurts. And that's the same thing when you do the bird intro, the gunfire intro, and you do the launcher stuff. Me personally, when I do that launcher scenario, and on that, that, that third one, that dog points that launcher, for his first hunting season, we're generally done. We go hunting. He hmm. showed me that he can point. I'm not going to spoil him on launchers. I'm not going to take him to a preserve where he can creep up on birds that yep. rarely fly well, you know? So this dog to this point, though, at the end of that drill, you have three or four times in the launcher there. You've done some introductions. You've done enough to do the, st the starter pistol. This dog may have only seen a dozen birds. Yeah. Doesn't so, it, it doesn't seem like very many then wait till, wait till season to take the dog out running then. Well, you'll run them before season. Right, but even the running season, right, in July, you, know, you could work through all this in, in very little time, really, under a month maybe. Yeah, you could. So, You absolutely could. So, so really you're just looking at get him to the point where he's shown you his genetics and he's getting confident, right, and then the no longer needing to worry about the gun and the bird, and then really you just you can kind of wait. Yeah, yeah you, can, you don't have to put hands on that dog. You're going to take him hunting that first season, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that's when you, that's kind of when you make the transition with that dog, right? He's going to learn a whole hell of a lot there, and we're going to manage our ex expectations with him. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where we're getting to the second half of this here is the, the transition period, right? So we've we've hit that five to six month mark and now we're taking them into the first hunting season right mm -hmm. and one of the things that i you know note is that if you've been in the woods with the pup you you've not been over handling them they're going to have the confidence to explore and the more they explore the more they will find birds the more they find birds the more they will learn how to hunt objectives and mm -hmm. that's really the mission of a pointing dog, right? They're supposed to get out and hunt those objectives for you. Mm -hmm. 
Now we can set them up for success by taking them when they're confident, when they're ready to areas that we know have held birds in the past and particular spots where we know probably we all have those covers where there's a cover within the cover and we know there's always a bird there, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's where you're going to want to take that pup because it's going to learn. So I, I, I always use the Gretchen example and Gretchen was a wonderful dog lived almost almost what was she 16 Joe do you remember I think you have said 16 she was 16 she hunted when she was 15 wonderful little dog and I remember taking her um, on one of these woods walks it was in the spring but it was between the snow melt and the quiet period and the woodcock were coming back, and I took her on this walk, and she bumped a woodcock underneath a, the drip edge of a spruce tree. And we were about 200 yards from the truck, and it took about 40 minutes to get back to the truck because she decided that she was going to go false point every spruce tree on the way out of the woods. <laughs> but... That was my first experience in how dogs learn to hunt objectives, right? Yep. She made a connection with this wonderful smelling bird that flew away, and she liked it. And on the way back, she decided she was going to point every single evergreen tree for 200 yards on the way back to the truck. <laughs> Just in case. But that's... Yeah. But we've been building up to this, right? So for the first six months, we've been taking that pup for walks in the woods, Right. Mm -hmm. We haven't overhandled it. It has confidence. We've introduced it to birds. We've introduced it to gunfire. It likes birds because it's chasing them, right? Mm -hmm. So it's got confidence. We're going to get it out in that cover, and it's going to learn how to hunt objectives because we're going to set it up for success that way. Yep. And there's so many resources we can use, right? I could use a lot of examples, but one of my favorites with puppies this age and granted i have i have a lot more resources than folks right we got the largest gems area in the state of michigan not too far away mm -hmm. those gems trails like on august evening end of the day birds are all over them right they haven't hit, yeah. been hit by hunters yet they're coming out to get that really nice clover that's planted, a lot of planted right in the trail. Yep. Yeah. Planted yeah. right in the trail. Sometimes you got to walk through that stuff with, with double, uh, with double pike pants on because they haven't mowed it. You know. It gets wet. Uh, oh yeah. And this stuff is so so thick, and <laughs> there's always birds there, right? Mm -hmm. And here's the really cool thing: if you take a puppy there, a lot of guys worry. Why well, don't I just don't want my dog to run up and down the trail? Well, first and foremost, if you been doing what you've we've talked about beforehand up to this point it's not going to run up and down the trail and even better if it is running up and down the trail it's going to hit one of those birds off the side of the trail and we mm -hmm. know those birds don't fly straight down the trail right they back they oh yeah. they did him they did him all back into the woods guess where your pup's going yep he's following that bird into the woods and Likely, there's probably a brood situation. So guess what else he's going to hit? More birds. 
And the, the whole purpose here is we don't want the dog to point the birds. Yep. We want the dog to learn how to hunt objectives. So he's going to follow those birds. Well, you've now just taught that dog how to Sunday hunt. One of my favorites, right? You walk up and down the logging road. Your dog knows that the birds are off the logging road. So it's a pointing dog. He's going to work 60 to 80 yards either side of that logging road. And you're going to have an easy Sunday burning off that Polish blackberry brandy. Right. That takes some walking anyway. But I want to, yeah. I want to touch on, on, you've used the word overhandle a couple of times. And then yeah. I think you've pointed out a circumstance where that happens a lot. And I'm, I've been a victim of this, at least with one of my dogs. I can no longer walk trails. And that's because if I overhandled and I needed my dog within my confidence range and near me and I decided to do the wrong thing and I opened my big mouth at the wrong time, my dog stays where he thinks I want him. Yes. Between the two tire tracks. And that's not where the birds are, but now it is entirely ingrained in that dog's head for his entire life that that's where he he needs to be because that's where I am. And so now I have to walk five yards into the woods to get him off of that two track. And then when you go back out on it, he's coming right back out with you. Yep. And he then only hunts, you know, if you run up and down the two track, you're only hunting the upwind side of the two track. Yep. Yep. It just, it's one of the great, that's a great example. And I see a lot of dogs that come here Mm -hmm. that, um, that's all they do is run up and down those trails because they have been overhandled early on. And they've been walked on paths so that, you know, if you, I think even on a leash, if you walk a dog on a leash long enough on a path, yep, it's in its head now. I stay on paths. And I stay this far away from the person. Mm-hmm. We have to remember that all of these dogs are programmed to be cooperative, right? Oh, they cooperate a lot in ways you, know, you may not want. Well, I know, but I mean, even the ones we have that we think are telling us to screw off every now and then, they might be difficult. They still have a lot of cooperative tendencies Mm because they like to eat. They do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so the the overhandling, even through the first six months and up through this first hunting season, I'm telling you, I'm still, the only thing that dog really needs to know is his name. Of course, by now, we've probably taught the dog recall, right? We've taught him to come or hear or whatever it may be. Oh, that yeah. doesn't mean yep. we have to say it. <laughs> and depending on the dog, like if I have a dog that's really getting out there and he's out, he's getting out, say he's, I don't know, I hunted drummer at four months old. He was getting out about 60, 80 yards on me. Well, then I'm going to start introducing the hop command or the bending command, right? Just to let them know that I'm changing direction. Yeah. But that doesn't have to come right away. If you have a GPS on that dog, you know what he's doing. As long mm-hmm. as he's not getting in trouble, I'm going to let him hunt. Because the only thing that's happening is he's learning where to find birds. I don't care if he's pointing them. He's young. He's learning how to hunt objectives. He's learning how to have confidence, right? All of that Mm -hmm. stuff that we can fix later on when they get a little bit older. Mm -hmm. And then that brings us to the, 
you know, the, the ever popular, well, when should I shoot a bird for the dog then? Right. That's a hundred percent judgment call, man. That's like being a home plate umpire or, or a wrestling referee, right? You're calling balls and strikes on that one, mm-hmm. but it really comes down to a couple of things that I look at. Right. First one is the dog's ability, right? If you've seen that dog and, and you know that that dog's got a ton of point in it and we do those launcher drills, that dog is as staunch as the day is long, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, then you understand the dog knows how to point, right? The dog's attitude, is the dog trying to be honest? Or is his attitude one where he's trying to be an asshole and, and take the bird out because he wants to try and catch it, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that whole attitude effort of dog right there is is a lot of it's all a judgment call it comes from years of reading dogs right that's a good one to have a friend along with but generally what i tell people if the dog is being honest it makes an honest attempt to point a bird and say say the dog like flash points like the dog's running and it swaps ends and the minute it swaps ends a bird flies out I'm killing that bird all day long. I'm shooting at that bird because that dog made an honest attempt. Mm -hmm. If the dog's working a bird, it points the bird. When you get up to the dog, um, even if you're going wide and that bird starts to run in front of a little bit and it flushes and he breaks with that, I'm killing it, right? Mm -hmm. If that bird's running on the ground, and it flushes and it makes the dog break, but he was previously pointing, I'm going to kill that one too. I don't think you're making any bad habits by doing that. But now you see that dog and that dog is running along and swaps ends and immediately dives in and tries to catch something. If that dog makes, the only attempt it makes to point is to lift its head before it dives in on anything and stuff like that. He's not ready to have a bird killed for him yet. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, it's it's really a balance between gratification and dog development, right? Yep. We all want the gratification of shooting the bird. Yeah. But I think a key thing to remember is that when it comes to pointing dogs, now this is strictly my opinion and my experience, they could give, they don't give, they don't care about you killing that bird. They want to go point them. How many times you heard stories, right? Like, I shot this bird for this dog and he was bringing it back and he dropped it and he pointed another one. Happens all the time, right? What does that tell you about the programming of that dog? They are selfish when it comes to pointing. They want to inhale that elixir. They want to get high off of it. They're retrieving a bird for you or bringing it back to you because they're being cooperative. But the act of pointing, I will argue all day long, is a selfish act because they get high off of it. And that's why I really don't focus on killing a bird early during the during the development of a puppy. Mm-hmm. Now, there may be instances, right, If you if you have a dog that might might need to be fired up a little bit or might need to make the connection, you'll be able to tell that too, right? 
Like if birds yeah. are starting to flush and they have no idea that birds are flushing, well, then you pick <laughs> your poison, right? One time when the dog comes across a bird and it flushes and it acts surprised and it starts to make chase and you can make a shot, I'd kill that bird because that dog mm -hmm. needs to make the connection. But you're at that point kind of compensating for for the stuff that isn't in the dog in a way. Yes, you are. And at that you're point, yeah, you're having to modify what you're doing. Same reason why maybe we take gunfire intro so carefully. Right. Yep. And that's why, the you know, the beginning exposure steps are really, really important. Mm -hmm. You should not be getting yourself into a situation in hunting season where a dog's going to act surprised when a bird goes up. That needs to be taken care of during that early development stage during those first six months. And then, you know, the whole, I like to fl chase flush birds. Flush birds in my face don't scare me. Dad's taking me to the woods where I've ran across game. Or mom's taking me to the woods or mm -hmm. whatever it is nowadays of taking me to the woods. <laughs> you know, I, I Just go to the it. woods. Right. Right. Go to the woods. They're going to come across birds, man. Yeah. You know? Yep. And unless they're being an act of defiance, you know, they're generally going to improve every time they're out there. Yeah. But if you have one that's lacking and they need a bird to fire them up or learn from, that's typically a dog where the first six months hasn't been paid attention to, right? Or yeah. it's been paid attention to in a wrong way. Maybe in six months, the first six months, they kept going to the game farm, right? And it, and it pointed chuckers okay. in, in a grass field. At, at seven inches off its nose. Seven inches off its nose, but it never had this other stuff happen. Mm -hmm. And that, that really, really set you back. And by the way, I'm not a total anti-preserved dog guy, but I am the first year of a dog's life. That's been, After that, yeah. have at it. They are great places to go. They support us. I support them. Love all of them. I just don't prefer to use them the first year of a dog's life. Right, and I, I think you've kind of, in the way you were talking and, and I pointed out there, that maybe a dozen birds is all it takes between the launchers and the catch and the chase. There's no need to really go get a bunch of birds at the preserve yet. Nope. If, if you're going to cost yourself a lifetime of grouse hunting, out of, out of that dog's lifetime at least, because what kind of mountains you made with a bird that won't fly and make that dog honest is is just not a really fun way to try to remedy. No, it's not. And believe it or not, the majority of the dogs that I get in from people are from people that were well-intentioned. And these are training dogs that maybe are on their second season, you know? Mm -hmm. And the dog's just not putting it together on grouse. Just not putting it together on grouse. Well, tell me a little bit about the background of the dog. Well, you know, we went to the preserve. It was dynamite when it was young. And it's not their fault. No. It's all well intended, right? And damn it, if we're going to pay this kind of money for a dog and guns and licenses <laughs> and ammo and yeah. everything else, we want to see that dog perform. It's natural. And more than often than not nowadays, we're in the instant gratification, right? Even. We don't have a lot of patience like we used to, so we want to take yeah. that dog out. We want to see him perform. It's cool. We like it. We get high off of it. That's why we do it. Right. 
I think if you're going to do the instant gratification route, though, you need the absolute best DNA in that dog to begin with. Yes. The only the only way to get instant gratification is really having such a strong genetic dispensation in there for what you want out of the dog, whether it's a retriever or a, a flushing dog or a pointing dog. If you need the absolute best DNA, and your instant gratification is a dozen intro birds, and then go hunt in the woods. Bingo. It, but you got to spend the extra on the dog... You do, but the, the, the good yeah. news is there's guys there's guys producing dogs like that. Yeah, there and there's are guys producing dogs like that in Michigan. You don't have to go very far for that. We mm-hmm. got tons of guys that run grouse trials. If you're into setters and pointers, yeah. Um, you got the short hair guy here. Yeah, I know of another one. I mean, there's there's people doing this. Mm-hmm. One of the things I had, and you mentioned this a little bit, and this is something that I think on your woods walks, right, as you're still just imprinting that young dog, I have a command, um, and it's really more, it's not even a command, really. It's a me expressing that something is changing, and all Mm -hmm. I do, and all I have is a yep, 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 and usually that gets the dog's attention, and then I make my turn, and it's almost always a turn. Yep. Bruce... When I talked to him the other day, it might have been off recording, but uh, has the same thing. He sings to his dog uh, during the trials. Well, when? Yep. Oh, when there's going to be either, and he has two uses for it that he was talking about with me, and one was the trail's going to turn, so I need I need my dog to understand that something changed, not not come back, just mm-hmm. something changed, so be be ready. Or he says when I know that there's some likely cover coming up, and I need to have my dog in a position to hit that cover properly, I may sing to that dog, as he said, to get that yep. dog to cross at the right time to make it its the most use of its nose. So with that young dog on these woods walks, when you incorporate something like that, and you know, reason, the reason people are going to listen to this is because they're nervous about ruining their young puppy, and so they're probably more new to the whole game. If you're learning too, and you have some idea of habitat already, and you have that little bit of a toolbox in there where I know what to do now. If I make just enough of a distraction or enough noise that my dog understands something's doing something different, you can lead that dog to make the course change. You know, and mm-hmm. and this can happen at three months old. I mean, dogs pick up on these quick. Now oh, all yeah. of a sudden you're on the right wind of the thicket, and you speed up your own process simply by just walking where you know you need to be and that teamwork continues to build with the dog. Now he knows that when you said, oh, yeah, yep, 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 we're turning, oh, and then it makes the turn with you, you get the good thing happening. You know what? I do that with a young pup. Um, I call it bending. Mm -hmm. It's just turning them is all it is. And I use the word hup. And I use it because I can yell it really, really loud when they're 18 months old and 500 yards out. <laughs> that, that's mm-hmm. the next podcast, right? Right. There, there is a consequence of raising them this way, but it only lasts for a short time period. And then you but have I a use, very... I use Hup, and I, you know what I <laughs> yes. use it for? I can actually train it here in the, in the field or the yard. All I do is say hup, and then I change direction because they want to be in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. 
they will turn and they will run past you and they will be in front of you. And you just do that a couple times with that hop. Don't overdo it. Transition it to when you go in the woods walks. If you're making a turn and you want the dog to turn with you, hop. They'll come back, get eyes on you, and then they'll punch in front of you. Yep. And it's that was such a useful thing. And And the other thing, too, is don't overdo it. Yes. That's the key, right? Right. So we talk about like the challenges that we could run into with this. Mm -hmm. And one of the, one of the challenges is uh, you'll see a dog that may lack confidence. And when I make an assessment as a professional trainer, a dog that lacks confidence is going to tell me it's either going to be a couple of things, right? Number one, it's genetically deficient. Or it's been overhandled, it's had too much pressure on it, or it hasn't been developed properly because they skip steps, right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's cures for that kind of thing, but the dog that's lacking ability, I mean, that's kind of a rare instance. However, I will say during COVID, there was a bunch of dog breeders that popped up and everybody was breeding everything under the sun. So we, we went through a little time period there about 2023, 2022 to 23, where I was seeing some dogs that did have ability lacking. Hmm. But a lot of what you see with that is they have a stronger desire to chase rather than point. And when you get in a situation like that, there's not going to be able to fix it during that first year. You don't want to fix it that first year. You're just going to work your way through it. And then you're going to do some future staunchness work and some steadying. Mm -hmm. And uh, another big challenge we run into is ourselves, right, with our ego. (laughs) It worked this way with my other puppy. Oh, yeah. You know, or Mm -hmm. it worked this way with my other dog. Yep. Or I don't have to take that kind of time. That puppy points. I'm just going to I'm just going to throw a ton of birds out there for him and he's really really going to be good. He's going to advance his timeline. No, he's not because it's not on wild birds, right? Wild birds right. make the bird dog. Yeah, and it has to be wild ones at that point. Right? Exactly. Yep. Other, exactly. One of the things too and and we'll reiterate this, this is something we haven't brought up yet and that was the well we kind of did, right? A dozen a dozen birds and you may be through your introductions two or three good reps with the launcher and you were already seeing what the dog had in it. You know, if you wanted to play around a little more, maybe a, a bird a week might be enough or too much in some cases, right? You don't want to do that, but yeah, one or one or two good reps is plenty. It, de- it depends on the dog. Mm-hmm. It really does. I mean, if you got to remember if we're starting, starting from scratch, right? And, and when we're starting from scratch here, we have a, a clean slate to work with. Mm-hmm. And nobody, uh, nobody else has put hands on that dog. Okay. We don't have a lot of mistakes to work with, right? I, I, mm-hmm. Today I posted on my blog the, the primum non nocere, right? That's the, that's the medical profession. First, do no harm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if we're doing the stuff right early on, we're not going to have to overdo it with birds. Mm-hmm. Now, 
depending on each individual dog, you may have a dog that may want to chase a little bit more. So in that instance, you're going to fashion your launcher work with a little bit more check cord, but you got to be careful because you don't want to create a blinker mm -hmm. and you don't want to create a flagger. But if you have a dog that's right in the wheelhouse where you want it, I don't think there's anything wrong with putting a bird out for a, a one bird a week for it in a launcher. Nothing wrong with that at all. Go kill a bird for it. Mm -hmm. You're not going to, I mean, but you can overdo it. Right. Because these, these dogs, their, their maturation, right? And I mentioned this earlier about the 18-month-old dog that's going to drive you nuts. <laughs> they're, they're just yeah. like kids. And for those of you who have raised kids, right, those teenage years, like I'm just getting them in them, into them right now with my boys, and I, I forgot what I was like. And I'm looking at this like, oh, this is going to be a rough four years, man. Four. But with dogs, luckily, it's only like one season. When they hit like 18 months, that 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 season around that age is usually one that you're sitting on a stump with the veins sticking out of the side of your head. You, you want to <laughs> yell, but you want to yell, but Uncle Grouse told you to just let it go, just let it go. It'll be all right. Yep. You know. And and we get in those situations. And the thing is, if you do too much bird work with a dog, you can you can uh, advance that timeline, right? You can run into those terrible twos a little bit quicker, because believe it or not, I I firmly believe that dogs have an impression of themselves. And by my mentor used to tell me this. He used to look at that dog and say, you know, the problem with that dog is, is he thinks he's better than he is. <laughs> and I firmly believe that. One, because I really, really love my mentor, and he, he was a great bird dog man. But I've seen dogs like that, too, where they kind of, you know, they're kind of flashy. They kind of mm -hmm. think they can get away with crap, you know? You've seen dogs like that. You probably owned a dog like that, right? He's, he's a decent dog, but he think he'd get, get along with a little bit of crap every now and then? I got one of those. Yeah. I think a lot of people have dogs like that. And sometimes a dog like that is because we repeated the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. And maybe when we didn't notice it, they got away with it, so it became a habit. So it's one of those things. It depends on each individual dog and your comfort level and your ability to read a dog and how many times you do that. Yeah, I have I have a dog where if there was a handler mistake that could be made during training, they all went into him. Every last one of them is in D-Man. And, you know, but he's one of those solid youth hunt kind of dogs to preserve mm -hmm. where, where his element is shook birds. And my goodness, is he good with the kids? That's good. He is horrible with grouse. <laughs> well. But, you know, I play to his strengths. He, he comes out during woodcock time and, and when it's time to bat clean up with a couple of kids, that dog yep. finds birds that shouldn't belong there and he That's recovers awesome. he recovers pricked ones but yeah that he is the epitome of too many birds with an inexperienced handler who couldn't keep his mouth shut who figured out by an accident how to train him to run down pathways and not hunt birds in the woods and pick a handler mistake but you know that's that was yeah, me learning you learned, you learned so much from it one thing I'd like yes. to add. To yes, this, I did. 
<laughs> one thing I'd like to add to this to the listeners before we get done is notice I've made, nor has Joe made any mention of e-collar any point no. in time through this first year of this dog's life. Yeah, it's not that. necessary. You, you'll make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Don't monkey around with it. And and I would say you almost you don't need it in the woods, really. Oh. Other other than I have, I always kept it on. Stay out of the road. Stay away from a porcupine. Right. But even then, too, you've already went through the the collar conditioning. Maybe you want to in the yard because of the mailman or the Amazon guy. You want to right. do collar conditioning. Okay, well, if you follow good instructions, there's no real need for it outside of some of those areas. you got a GPS, hopefully. You know yep. where he is. You can get him back. Yeah. Yeah, you don't You don't need the added pressure. Nope, you don't. Now, I, when they get a little bit older and they get in that 18-month time frame mm-hmm. and you're on year two, then you start get the check cord out, then you teach them formal bending, overlay the e-collar, all of that good stuff. Yep. I but do like it. I do like it because it vibrates or it beeps. And yep. I overlay my recall right away. So now I have a 200-yard recall without me needing to holler and whistle and annoy myself and the neighbors. And you've imprinted on that dog that that e-collar only good stuff happens, right? This is bird time. This is run time. This is woods time. This is pick a number of things the dog wants to do. Mm-hmm. If I actually, I have one around here too. If I shook it, whatever dogs are in there laying on the bed are getting off that bed. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they know what time it is, right? Absolutely. And that's including, you know, when they know what it'll do and they still want to wear it, but it, it, yeah, it's always been kind of every time they go out, it's on them. Half the time, it could have even been turned yard off. Recall two hundred. I'm trying to fathom what the two hundred yard recall is because usually that for me is like a side by side or a snowmobile ride. Well, the, the nice thing is, is too right. It's on their neck and it beeps quietly. It just beeps. So I have, I have here. I can call them by name and they come back or with the hear command, the whistle command is overlaid with it. If you're in a position where you know other guys are around or you're at one of the preserves where there's multiple parties, you don't want to be that guy blasting away on your whistle, hollering, looking like an absolute doofus. I I 100% agree with you. That vibrate and that beat function is such a game changer. Oh, yeah. You don't look like an idiot. Well, and the thing is, if you think about this, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. If you can train a dog to do something with the vibrate or the tone, mm-hmm. you're actually doing some training. You're actually doing repetition, mm-hmm. and you're actually doing it right. Yep, and it's that nice thing is too, right? You look at the GPS, oh, he's 200 yards outbound. Okay, well, one, maybe you're out of bounds on the field you're supposed to be on if you're on a preserve if you're out in the woods, okay, I know that 200 yards is well into the big woods and nowhere near the cover where I'm pretty sure the birds are. I can pull you back in with just hitting that button, letting it beep, and watch you turn the corner and come back in. Now I've already made my point. Hey, come back. We're moving. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, and again, you know, it's it's nice to have the ability to. I you don't also want to overdo it because you are that annoying guy in the terms of yes. the dog's eyes. Don't be that guy. Um, so this is all good e-collar stuff, but <laughs> for the listeners, save it for year two. Yeah, you don't you don't need it because you you you're listening to us like, oh wait, they're talking about beeping and vibrating, and that would be a good way to do recall. But it, in yeah. order to do that, you're going to have to train, 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 and you're going to end up taking a little bit of starch out of that young pup. Right. So that's, just wait till you need it. Yep. It's, especially, too, if you're on a program like this, you, you're you in that spot where it's not going to be a big deal. And I, I have it on my notes here, and I don't think you kind of do on yours, but I have the maintaining the dog's confidence. Not only yep. did you have a confident dog, but through the whole thing, every time I hit beep and tone on there or vibrate, I'm putting pressure on the dog to do what I want right now mm-hmm. instead of explore and look for birds. And I may have a good reason. I may not. I might just plain old be nervous. That's not a good reason. And in the end, yeah, I'm I'm taking away a little bit of that dog's independent being a dog right. mentality. But and... even those independent dogs, right? If we've done... The beginning stage, right, where we've socialized them, right? Mm -hmm. We've spent time in the woods with them. They like being around us. Every now and then they come and check back, and we've done that bonding with that dog. You're just not going to have to worry about the dog. I mean, there's going to be so few worries. (laughs) I mean, that dog is naturally going to come back and look for you, right? Every now and then it's going to get out over 200. But if we've done all this stuff, we're not worried. Right. That, that 200 is is just a number. And you've built yourself into it, right? That dog at 10 weeks old ran 20 yards. And you've yeah. watched this thing grow confident. You've watched it get, get better. You've watched it become bold. And it's went from mm-hmm. 20 to 40 to 70 to 90. And you've watched this progression the whole way. And you ought to be able to also realize that, hey, he knows where I'm at at 200 yards away. He yep. he knows where I'm at. He knows which way I'm going. And it, if I look down at my screen, I'll see him turn the corner when he feels it's time to turn. Yep. And and when you run in a big enough place, all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, he'll turn at 200. Perfect. Or at 150. At that point, Oh, I know he's over there. And the more experience and rapport you build with your dog, and I learned this a lot harder than it should have been. Yeah, he makes the turn. He comes back. Well, when you've already went through all this, you trust his nose, you trust his instincts, you understand his DNA. Everything is going right. Okay, and finally you catch up to what the dog is capable of doing mentally. Mm-hmm. Now you've shut up. You're walking. You look down the GPS, and now he stopped moving, and he's... 150 away perfect i have 150 yards to cover and once you make that confidence jump where you you trust him to make dog choices boy life gets good it does doesn't it (laughs) it does it is a pure pleasure man yeah yeah you're just like i i know he'll turn or he'll stop i'm i'm cool with both (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah. you be, the dog and you, you become comfortable with one another, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Yeah, all those walks, the can't quite stress that enough. You don't even need birds. It's just the, the big running walks. It is. It's all of those walks in the beginning stages 
where you get that pup, you start in the park, and then you go to the bigger woods, right? The maple mm-hmm. woods. Yep. And then from the maple woods, you might go to an area that's got some pines mixed in it, right? And then as the dog gets older, okay, well, you might take it into an older popple area with some underbrush, right? And then eventually you get it working in the thickets. Yep. And it all it all builds up, but you got to take your time with it, right? It's it is truly a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And it's a foundation thing, right? This is all building, this is all foundation work for what you're going to do when the dog hits that eight eighteen month year and a half old time frame, right? And then you're going to go back and you're going to start working on staunchness and steadiness and you know, backing other dogs and all of that stuff, which they should naturally back anyhow. That's one thing that I'm seeing more and more in well-bred puppies is what dog ahead of them stops. They're four months old. They're stopping too. It's just, hmm. you know, I'm seeing more and more of that. And that's because they're breeding bred with a ton of point in them and a ton of intelligence. Hmm. I don't have what? I don't have that yet. That's... You no. Know? No, I got mine. Mine will do a hard left or a hard right. Won't steal point, but he certainly won't stay there long enough to be woed. Wow. <laughs> he'll go hunt and he'll go hunt 90 yards away from that point. Just. <laughs> well, that's better than blowing it up, right? I've, I find it efficient, right? I don't need you stopped here wondering what's going on. Yeah. Hard right. Get out of here. Go. Well, plus if I'm hunting with you and you're my hunting partner and mm-hmm. my hunting partner's dog points a bird, well, yep, have fun. My yeah. dog's going this way. I'm going that way. We're not going <laughs> to argue over who shot it. Right. <laughs> yep. But, it, it, you know, it's uh, it, that that is truly a pleasure, man. And th- another important thing to remember is when you've had a dog that is pleasurable. That's the new and standard. You get a, uh-huh. And you, yeah, but that that shouldn't be the standard, right? It's not fair to any other dog to compare it to that one dog because they're all different. They all mature at different rates for the most part. Right. I think the goal is the the finish line is kind of the same. Finish line is the same, but how you get there. Oh, totally you different. You hit different bumps in the roads, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, definitely. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of like once you've, once you've seen a really well-bred dog with some confidence it's hard to go back to a different one. Right. right. I mean, I, all of a sudden, you know, Oh, I have a good dog. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Okay. Yeah, I do. Later on, you watch another one. You're like, wow. Why does, why does this one make me say, wow. And the other one doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, and I don't know, there's, there's a hundred different factors to go into that. And we're not going to find a way to piss off everyone in the kennel club today. Um, yeah. So I uh, did, did, one yeah. thing I wanted to add before we're done is this was primarily focused on pointing dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, flushing dogs, it's basically the same thing, except you're going to do a lot more obedience up front with them. Like, if you watch some of those flushing dog guys, obedience is king, right? They're not so worried about the hunting and the bird. They're more worried about keeping that dog within range, being obedient, doing their hop, their sit, all of that yeah. stuff that they do. And they do a ton of obedience up front and then work themselves into the woods. And their and their obedience isn't a, a control obedience. It's a, here's your parameters. 
Yes. I don't, I don't care about what you're doing at 20 yards in front of me. Sometimes they do, but a lot of the times they, they're, and I borrow their phrase a lot sometimes, and that's dogs making dog choices. You know, they, they want a confident, energetic bird finder that knows that there's a boundary out there automatically. And they do a lot of yard work to make sure that that dog kind of stays inside that range. And then all of a sudden it's, well, what do you do now? Well, the dog found a bird and we shot a bird. And it all happens in a way that, again, that confident dog makes a huge difference to both sides, really, as far as their pleasure to watch. Um, They can still be methodical and confident, but there's something about watching them just go bonkers that's really pretty cool, and that confidence makes makes the wow factor in many dogs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it does. That's, That's it. And it all comes back to the genetics right comes full circle it, it does really yeah drive and in, in the right dna but uh speaking of the right fit second chance bird dogs a perfect fit doesn't always happen for a puppy a dog at second chance learns its job birds guns and teamwork with the handler are milestones along a journey to a new home in life a training the sec- the, the training a second chance bird dog receives helps it make the most of its second chance and Wildcard Outfitters and Guide Service, a Michigan-based outfitter specializing in mentoring new hunters with an educational and positive experience in the outdoors, offering upland bird hunting for rough grouse and woodcock, walleye charters, waterfowl hunting, guided bear hunts, and more. Contact Wildcard Outfitters and Guide Service for one of these unforgettable experiences. Well, with Those that, are all good, all good people right there. They are. That's a uh, I'm glad to call all of them friends. This has been, you know. Well, I, I hope tonight, I hope the takeaway from this podcast is people understand genetics, exposure, patience, mm-hmm. and looking at things from a little bit different lens in that less is more. Yeah. Yep. Do you have anything else coming up? Are we going to be doing another Bonanza again this this summer? So I just uh, touched base with Brent Pike of Pike Gear last week, and we are going to be getting on a call here shortly to talk about Bonassa Bonanza 2. Um, looking to locate that in northern Michigan this time instead of the UP. Hmm. And we're possibly looking at around the Gaylord area is what we were thinking. Okay. Um, at the same, same idea right? Classroom instruction for new grouse hunters and a little bit of field work, some habitat identification. And, uh, and it is different down there. So we've done the Uper version. Yeah. Now we can do the <laughs> downstate version. And then we're eventually crossing the pond and going over to Gasp, Wisconsin. Oh, I, I hear the grouse up there as big as turkeys. Big as Buicks. Big as Buicks. but yeah we're talking about doing that also um so i a little self-promotion if i may we're going Mm -hmm. to have um our veterans hunt again this year we did that in conjunction with bdm grouse dogs in the fallen outdoors and our fundraiser for those is going to be a puppy clinic where Mm. You can come learn about what we talked about this year 
Um, I think I set the price at that for like $50. It's a one day clinic mm-hmm. and we put it on Memorial day weekend. So people have plenty of days to travel if you're going to come all the way up to the UP, but that one is designed for me to actually not only talk about this, but show you and bring your dog and work you through some of these drills that we talked about with the young dog. So you can take that home. Mm-hmm. And then also, in conjunction with that, we are doing a free kids bird dog uh, clinic. There'll be more information posted on that one. And actually, truth be told, I was kind of reading from an outline tonight that I'm going to be putting together some pamphlets on the uh, on the early life of a pointing dog for grouse hunting. So. Thanks for thanks for letting me boost my ego a little bit. I'm trying hard here. I do. I really want. I've I've noticed that, you know, a lot of us complain about the Ohioans that get on social media and ask everybody where to hunt flat out. Don't, you know, mm-hmm. and that's just a jab at Ohio. I have good friends in Ohio, but why not? We're a Michigan outfit. Yep, absolutely. But, but you know what? Like there are people that do that no matter what, but I have also found that if you put more information out for people, reasonable mm-hmm. cost information or whatever it may be, they're going to absorb it all day long. Yeah. And and you know, a lot of times for me it's that it's really not a money-making thing. That's the thing about all the seminars and stuff that I do and Bonanza Bonanza last year all of the proceeds from that paid for the veterans hunt. So mm-hmm. that's the way we do it around here. When I do these pamphlets, people buy them, the money's going into account. It's going to pay for the veterans hunt. It's going to pay it forward on that kind of thing. So oh, good. If, if people are starting to get a little squirmy about too many people making money off the dog scene or whatever, I'm just really trying to help. <laughs> well, if they get squirmy off of you may, trying to get a few bucks for a veterans hunt, we, they don't know you that well, but right, right. <laughs> now it doesn't mean maybe a pint of blackberry brandy may show up inside that expense account too. Occasionally, may... every now and then with a couple cigars, right? Right. When that well, that's just expenses for the bonanza. That's just something you're going to end up passing around. But oh. yeah, but I'll tell you what. The, well, yeah, well, yeah, but the expenses, look how they ate last year, man. They ate oh like kings. Goodness, they did. Yeah, you and Weaver cooking, man. It was like it was like we were back in the in the royal times. It, yes, the stress in the kitchen wasn't quite like a wasn't quite like a death threat penalty from King Louis, but it was close. There was ah. <laughs> No, that was a fun exercise. That was something that, you know, I didn't realize how much math goes into cooking until there's 40 people to feed. And, right. And then right. everything gets really multiplied out. And, oh, wow, I, potatoes get expensive when there's a whole crowd. But, yeah, it does, hey? Oh, yeah, but... Uh, I think, what, what what was the food budget? Was it like 700 bucks or something? Well, once you told me how much to spend, we tried to put... It was like Price is Right get close but yeah. don't go over and, right uh, right oh yeah so yeah it'll, it may or may not be what's it we had a four course steak dinner we probably won't quite do that again it was so good though it, oh it was 
Well, and we have to, well, with a new venue, who knows what we'll be doing, but, uh, I'm at right. least, I'm at least good for a seminar or something. You know what? You'll be there. Uh, yep. We'll have the same, we'll have a lot of the same crew and we'll expand a little bit too and yeah. bring in some other folks. Yeah. I mean, our intent is to grow this to, to the next pheasant fest eventually. We really don't yeah. have one for grouse hunters. And maybe it doesn't have to be as big as Pheasant Fest because grouse hunters aren't as big as pheasant hunters in numbers. But right. we're gonna make it we're gonna make it fun for everybody. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's enough demand there for it too. That... Well there is, and the thing is I, I'm still getting texts from people or messages from people thanking us for holding that last year because they have become much more competent grouse hunters based upon that the the habitat tours alone. Yeah, yeah, and the variety that. I'd like to take a minute here at the very end to thank you all again for listening. Again, I appreciate it, and I appreciate those who support the podcast. If even if you would can please go through the process of rating, reviewing. Uh, subscribing, sharing with a friend, any of the things that would publicize the podcast a little bit more and get out to a few more ears. Uh, You never know where our next fan will be found, and uh, hopefully you can help spread the word a little bit more about BirdCamp. If you want to contact us, of course, mi.birdcamp at gmail.com is the best way to do it. It might take me a day or two to respond, but uh, once it's in writing, you know, it's going to be easy to find and uh, get back to you with, as well as Bird Camp on Facebook and Bird Camp Pod on Instagram. Anyway, with those, again, thank you very much for listening, and I will see you, or you will hear me, on the next episode.